Good morning. Whether you're here with us in person or watching online, we want to welcome you to Belleville First Church Nazarene this morning. Uh, please stand and worship with us.
Amen, amen. You can have a seat. All four of you. <laughs> There's a few more than four. Yeah. It kind of looks like a baseball game this season, doesn't it, in terms of audience? Well, good morning. It's nice to see those of you who are here. It's great to see you this morning. And those worshiping online, we're delighted that you're joining us. And I hope that it's a, a blessed uh, time of worship, uh, worship together. A few things to cover. All of these things are subject to change. I'll just start with that disclaimer. As we all know, the numbers are not looking good for, for uh, not only for Illinois or the Metro East area, but for our entire country in terms of coronavirus. But prayer and Bible study this Tuesday night at 6.30. November 22nd, we are still planning to, at this point, uh, resume our Kid City and uh, Toddler Children's Church. So stay tuned for that. But at this point, we're still planning uh, for that. Uh, let me also say that the church leadership is certainly very uh, taking this very seriously, and we'll be discussing it this week in terms of how we go forward and what church looks like, uh, whether it be still in person or online only. So be in prayer that we were making good decisions as we as we move forward. Church decorating, November 22nd, uh, 5 p.m. We still have Advent books for sale. If you would like to uh, purchase one of those, the cost is $6, and Kathy uh, Dothager has those available and can, can help you out with that. Restore Network, we are continue to collect uh, Christmas gift cards. Uh, those will go to Trisha, uh, my wife Trisha. You can give them to me. Someone gave me some this morning. We will be collecting those through the first Sunday of December, which I believe is three weeks out. Uh, December 6th, I think, is that date. So we are still collecting for Restore Network Christmas gift cards. And then the uh, last announcement that, that I have is the, uh, a reminder that our thank offering or our offering for world evangelism, we will be on the 22nd. And that's my cue to get off the platform, I think. So November 22nd. And with that, we have a video.
Good morning. Well, we're going to make this World Evangelism Fund thank offering the theme of our service today. We'll be taking it up next week. So let's just keep that in mind, both those of you that are present and those of you that are joining us online. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful this day to be your children. We are grateful that we can gather together in this room and from the living rooms and kitchens of a number of homes this morning. The point is, is that we are together as your children. Space may be different, but time isn't. We're together. So hear us as we pray. Bless us as we sing. Challenge us as we consider what you do in the world and open our hearts to not only give to support uh, this thank offering, but open our hearts so that we might let others in and show them your love and compassion. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can open them, and we are going to read, our reading this morning is from Isaiah, chapter 56, and the first eight verses. Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right. For soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. Happy is the mortal who does this, the one who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and refrains from doing any evil. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar." For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. May the Lord bless his word to us this morning. Would you stand and sing with us? As we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. 
once again ask you, those of you who are in the room and those of you that are viewing us, to join us in prayer. May my prayer not be the only one that goes forth from our collective group today. This is an opportunity for us to take our petitions, our thanks, our rejoicing to the Lord this morning. Let us pray. We rejoice, O Lord, because we are your children and we are together in your place, whether we are physically here or not. We know that there is nowhere that we can go that we are not in your presence. May we comfort in that this day. May we also, Lord, realize that there is nothing that we can't bring to you. And so this day... We rejoice with those who are rejoicing over, over good news about any range of things. Some in our midst have just discovered that they're in love. There's been news of, of healings, and there's been news of, of new births, and there's been news of difficulties that were feared that somehow have been averted. We rejoice knowing that you have made those things possible. But we also have people, Lord, that are crying, that are wailing, that are weeping, that are fearful. We are in the midst 
of a dangerous time. The reality is, is that none of us know that we can avoid this virus. It's hidden. We know that we can take precautions that will help protect ourselves, and, 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 and we thank you that we've learned to do that. But it's true that despite what many of us do, we will contract this virus. And that means some of us may die. And that's a frightening thought. Except, Lord, every day some of us may die. You have not promised us tomorrow. And so, Lord, as you see our fear and as you help us to deal with our fear, and not only for ourselves but for others, help us also, Lord, to remember that we put our trust in you. <clears throat> now, you told us to work and pray. So when there's a vaccine we will, and it's reliable, we'll get it, Lord, and, and we'll wear masks and we will distance ourselves and we will not even visit and hug our grandchildren because that may be the wise thing to do for this time. But we know our fate is still in your hands. But most of all, Lord, I pray for those who despair, who are afraid to hope, who are afraid to plan, who are afraid to anticipate, whose anxiety and worry has paralyzed their ability to go out and claim tomorrow. May the peace that you give that passes all understanding settle on us. May it not make us complacent. May it make us diligent. And may we be strong in doing for others and putting them first, as Paul tells us in Philippians 2, thinking on the things of others. And that way, Lord, we will be your servants in the midst of a pandemic. And finally, Lord, we pray for sanity to reign in our nation. We pray for the bitterness and division that is the result of our inability to be peaceful and certain of the voices that are whispering in our ears. I don't know how to make peace myself, Lord. I don't know how to bring it about, but you do. May those who can affect it listen to your whispering. We thank you for what you will do for us and what you will enable us to do for each other. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You can stand and continue to worship with us.
this time of desperation when all we know is doubt and fear there is only one foundation we believe we believe in this broken generation when all is dark you help us There is only one salvation, we believe, we believe, we believe in God the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And he's coming back again. We believe. So let our faith be more than songs we sing and in our weakness and temptations we believe we believe we believe in God the Father we believe in Jesus Christ we believe given us new life we believe in the crucifixion we believe that he conquered death we believe in the resurrection and he's coming back again let the lost be found and the dead be raised in the here and now let love invade let the church live loud our God will save, we believe, we believe, and the gates of hell will not prevail, for the power of God has torn the veil, now we know your love will never fail, we believe, we believe, we believe in God the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and He's coming back. He's coming back again. He's coming back again we believe
seated. Have you worshipped? Two or three, that's all it takes. In fact, I've heard this, but you can even do it by yourself at home. What a novel thought. If the Lord is open, we need to gather together, but we don't have to. We need to be one, which Technology is made possible, but the great thing is that we are together as God's children. We're going, well, as you can see, um, I've reverted to my roots. Um, I hadn't even thought that I would get this opportunity to, to revert back and do a missions presentation. And so I've gone a bit overboard this morning. I've dressed up. If, if all this other stuff hadn't happened, I might even got Brenda to dress up in a, an African dress. It's been a while since I've been able to convince her to do that, but uh, I would have tried. Because this thank offering that we're going to collect next Sunday is how we, one way, we help to support and participate in missions. So what else can I read this morning except Matthew. We're going to read from the 28th chapter, and I started, and I do this out of habit, but I made, I made another mistake. We're going to start in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. (coughs) And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Lord has given us a commandment that we are to follow. And I stand before you here today as someone who has been blessed and been given a life that I don't deserve, have never deserved, um, but has been rich. And I want to share part of it with you today and how it came about so unexpectedly. But we are all called in one way or another to go into the world. Um, I don't know what I'm supposed to point this at. There it goes. Into the world is a journey. We read that in Genesis 12. You know, God told um, Abram to go into the world. This is in uh, Gardenor in Paris uh, when we were leaving language study. It's the best travel picture I have because Brenda and I have been on a journey. The day after we married, we went to Columbus, Ohio for three months to do a church plant. And it's been fast-paced ever since. After almost eight years of pastoring, I, we went to seminary, as good Baptists are able to do, you know, and what happened? But next door to us, when we moved into our apartment, a couple came out and started helping us unload our truck and trailer, and it turned out that the cooks 
had been missionaries in Kenya with the African Indian Mission. And he was a printer, and they had shut down the print house. We got back, and four months later, they were with us in Louisville, Kentucky, and they were on their way back to Kenya. He had accepted a position as the printer in the Baptist printing house in Nairobi. And we talked for six months with our neighbors. Their kids were the, you know how it is. Their, their kids are the same age as our kids. They were a little older than us and had this experience. And then they left. And about two months, for two months, I, I was thinking about things that, he had, that Ron had said to me about the, the, the needs that were there and the challenges that were there. And I'd been having this conversation in my head, and it occurred to me one day that that was a dangerous thing to do, that I needed to, to get some more input, and that I never included Brenda in these conversations. So I called her. I said, we need to talk. And so that night, I got home, and we got the kids to bed, and it was evident that she'd been crying, and she wanted to know what I want to talk about. I said, no, you talk first. And her, she said, Dwight, we've been married for over eight years, and I've never been honest with you. It's hard for me to see, but you should be. I said, what? She said, I thought being a pastor's wife was enough, but it isn't. That should make you go, really? Because I did. I said, what are you talking about? This conversation is going downhill fast. She said, when I was 13, I was at Durley Camp, and God called me into missions. And I have been struggling all day how I could talk to you about, I think we need to go to Africa. I wish I could stand before you a proud man and tell you that I rose to the occasion the opportunity that the Lord had given me, because a good husband would have, no, an excellent husband would have said, the Lord has sent me here, Brenda, to confirm your call. I was more mundane, and she said, what do you want to talk about? And I said, well, I, I think we should go to Africa too, you know? God had called me to preach at 11. I'd started preaching at 15. I was doing youth evangelism crusades in high school in Arkansas and Missouri and South Dakota. So going to Africa was new to me. I hadn't planned on it, had never thought about it. But some missionaries have to pay a price for going. This woman had to pay a price. I mean, chickens hated her. She wasn't too fond of them either. She's very happy now that she gets them dead. We had one that was particularly hateful to both Brenda and our oldest son, and they have the scars to this day to bear it. But you need to know that some folks have to pay a price. She lived two and a half years without water or electricity. She learned to be a teacher with our two oldest children before she had ever had her first education class. And she had the courage to take that on, besides language study, which she hated. I, on the other hand, like to talk. Most of the things that happened to me were just annoyances. I mean, 40 flat tires in one year is just an annoyance. Well, 
But sometimes things are fun. An African missionary's got to show you a couple animals, right? And living where you get to see, we didn't live where we saw these every day, but we got to see them occasionally. Now, my children have lied. You were talking about lying in Sunday school this morning. My children have lied to susceptible people who've asked them what Africa was like, and they told them they rode zebras to school every day or elephants, and it was never true. I've outed you kids. Whoever, you're, you're just out. But I enjoy talking. You, you, you've known, noticed that by now. I enjoy preaching. And so for the first year I was in Burundi, after being in France, I preached and, with a translator in French. Don't ask me to do it now. Um, pas possible. But then it was. Because spreading the word of God is what I was called to do. I went to Africa to preach and teach pastors and to plant churches. This church is about twice the size, or was, it's gone now. This church was about twice the size of this platform. And when I first got to know the people there in, in January of 83, there were a hundred people coming to church. They were not socially distancing. They didn't even have chairs in this church because the only way they could get inside, and they all couldn't, was the stands shoulder to shoulder. And we had some funds through a mission offering, kind of like our world evangelism um, fund, that made it possible for me to put together a program for the churches in my area that we would help them put a, a tin roof on their building. And these folks wanted a roof for this building. Now, in good conscience, I could not put a tin roof on this building. So the pastor and I, Johanna, we made up a program right there on the spot. We told them, if you get together and you make mud bricks and build a new building, we'll put a roof on it. It took them six months, but the Sunday that they opened up and dedicated the new building, there were 450 people inside that building, and over 200 outside still not able to get in, all because people like you gave money that we turned into an opportunity. And the second Sunday in their existence, after this new building, these people started a church a new mission church. And so for the first part of my mission career, I was focused on preaching, making converts. That's exactly what God had told me to do. That's what I knew how to do, and that was my passion. Preaching is still a passion with me. This is Pastor Benjamin. We're getting ready to baptize, and it's an outside baptistry, and, and we've re it used to be the baptistry, and then it became the place where they changed oil, um, and we had to clean it up because the week before, the baptistry inside the church had collapsed just as I was getting ready to get into it. We had 108 people to baptize. Uh, Brenda thought I was dead because I'd gone down in the back to, to get ready to go up, and all of a sudden, the, the, it was like a chimney on the back of the church, and it just disappeared. Last she saw was me down there. <coughs> well, fortunately, I'd walked to the door because the bricks were this high. 
It was dangerous to baptize in Burundi. We used, we used to joke about it. We had a missionary where he baptized. They had to put people out with long poles to keep the, the crocodiles away. Another missionary had gone off to a new area and baptized in a lake. He'd gone by himself and had, had, had like 50 people to baptize, and it was, it was taken in several hours, and we got out. He had leeches all over his legs, and he fainted from loss of blood. So they kept him overnight, but they sent a runner who got a bus and, and got to his w wife's house, and, and, and they were newlyweds. They were both in, in their late 30s, but they'd, they'd met in, Bur in, in Burundi as missionaries and gotten married, and they'd only been married a month. And this guy came up, and he told Sophie, Niels couldn't come home because he lost too much blood. And then he left. Well, she just had got her car packed. She was a nurse. And she just got her car packed and got everything ready. And Niels drove up. And they kept him overnight until he'd had time to recover from all the leeches. Baptizing was, but not nearly what had happened to Benjamin. In 1972, Burundi had a tempted coup. It was put down after a day and a half. And for the next four months, the government systematically eliminated over a quarter of a million Hutus. Benjamin is, was a Hutu. He's dead now. He was one of two pastors to survive for 60 congregations. Dear old man, he taught me a lot. And these were my students, because my job, besides preaching and baptizing, my primary job was to go and train pastors, train church leaders. And so I did that through a program called uh, Theological Education by Extension, TEE. And that's how I learned Kirundi, was these poor, these poor people put up with my bad Kirundi till it got better, uh, because they wanted to be better servants for the Lord. But something happened to me, and I've told you this story, so I'll just summarize it. The first day we were in Rabura, before all these other things started happening that I told you about, and I got one school started, they came to me and said, Jackson, we need to start a grocery store. And you, I've told you how I resisted that for four months through multiple conversations, and finally we did it, and how people came, and we sold out the first day in two hours, and they kept coming back and coming back, and I would go out because the, the, the small churches attached to the large church at Rivera were having an ex evangelism explosion. And every time I would go to those churches, they would thank me, and they would say, since you and Mrs. Jackson have come our life has gotten better. I'd done nothing. What I didn't know was that the stores, the merchants around us in that part of Burundi were crooks. And they used bad weights. And when the people would go in to buy a kilo of rice, they would sometimes get just over a half a kilo. But our store used accurate measures. We charged more, but they got a full kilo. 
And because of that little grocery store on that church station, the stores, the merchants around that area had to change their practices and become honest merchants in order to get people to come back. And the people in the communities knew that was because of the store. They drew a straight line, and they took it as a sign of God's interest in them, and they came to Jesus Christ. And the hardest thing I had to learn to live with was that God would bring more people into the kingdom through my assisting in a grocery store than all my sermons. So I started looking for grocery stores. The part of the world that I lived in was full of refugees. It's still full of refugees. People are put out of their homes sometimes without a, a moment's notice because of war. Other times, be, with more time, it's drought. But in our area, it's mostly social and political conflict. It would lead us back to Africa after 17 years to go to work for Food for the Hungry in Rwanda, where the Burundi situation was just flipped, where you had a Hutu-led genocide of approximately a million Tutsis. Ref Dealing with refugees will get your attention and teach you a lot about God's compassion. So what did we learn? What were the grocery stores? The first grocery store I began to learn about in Burundi was water. These people are actually standing on a lake. You know, it's, it's papyrus roots. But you walk out on the papyrus roots, and then it goes down, and you can get water. Only problem is, is you see how much dirt's collected on top of these papyrus roots. The water they got kind of looked like wheat tea. So my first water project was to, to hire a couple guys and, and dig a well up on the bank because we knew there was a water table there and we could get water. And these people were used to coming here and getting water, so we got them using a well to get clean water rather than lake water. And it continued, even as a pastor uh, in St. Louis. I got involved in a project in Uganda to help AIDS orphans. And one of the ways we were going to help aid orphans is right along the north coast of Lake Victoria, it rains 11 months a year. And one of, the, one of the things about folks who don't have water is that it usually takes three to four hours a day to get water. So um, this Ugandan lady and I, who we'd met and cooked up this, this potential plan, she, we, she raised $50,000 and I raised teams of volunteers. And we went to help widows who were dealing with AIDS, orphans, and to help start businesses in the community. So on our first trip, the, the tank was what was supposed to go next to this house. Staff wanted us to put a gutters on this. It kind of reminded me of the church I just showed you a few minutes ago. They wanted gutters on this house. And I said, we can't put gutters on this, that house. And they said, why not? I said, look at the wall. It's going to fall down. You start nailing on that thing, it's going to crumble. So hard-hearted Dwight said, we can't help. But this woman, you'll meet her in just a moment, had 22 orphans living in this house. All of her adult children and a number of her adult grandchildren had died of AIDS. All of them. 
And she had 22 grandchildren and great-grandchildren under her care in this house. So towards the end of the trip, they said, we've been doing the, the, the math. It would, we would spend less per orphan, since there are 22, if we built this woman a house. And here she is taking the keys from our staff guy, David, and we built her this house for less money per orphan than we put tanks and gutters on other houses because there were 22 of them. They convinced me with math. It's all about the math. Compassion. Have you noticed the theme? that some, it, There have been times in my life when I've been slow to be compassionate. I always thought I had good reasons. But God's been drilling away at this theme for a long time. Because for 30 bucks, you can capture a spring on the side of a hill and make it so that it's drinkable water and people don't get sick. Or you can see kids that are trying, again, spending hours getting water out of a well Or I've had communities where kids were killed by crocodiles getting water out of a river. That happened once when I had a group of students. I did a semester abroad program. I had a group of students in the community. A girl got, was killed by a crocodile. And one of them, their parents, had, uh, were responsible for a, a family development fund. They gave us $200,000. And our nonprofit in Rwanda bought this, this drill, and Procom Rwanda got into the well drilling business. And we've helped probably close to 100,000 people with well water. But we also got brave, and we competed for a government contract with two for profit companies. And we won a contract to, to run the Shogwe Mayaga Water District. And we ran it for eight years, providing clean water for a million people every day. Well, that's if all the, all the pipes were working. In the very same communities, where, and by this time I had left Food for the Hungry, but in the very same communities where we, we had worked in evangelism and education with Food for the Hungry, and compassion, interestingly, in Africa, always brings people to God. I wonder if that's true here. It's hard. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I should not have shown this lion after I've been talking about compassion because he had just finished his breakfast on a zebra. It wasn't particularly compassionate there, but it's my favorite lion picture that I have. And people say, do you take that with a telephoto lens? Nope. Did I get out of the vehicle to take it? No. Just rolled it on the window. And he had just eaten anyway. The other thing that needs an issue in, in my journeys in Africa was food. Uh, Africans are subsistence farmers. By and large, they live off of what they grow. 
and when uh, they when it rains, they eat well. But malnutrition is a problem for children because the crops don't come in at the same time, and so they're eating beans all at one time, corn all another time, sorghum and another. You see what I'm saying? It's hard to get a balanced diet when you're a subsistence farmer. So what did we do when we left Food for the Hungry? We created the Sabbath Year Economic and Agricultural Development Company, a for-profit, because that's the only way we could get it to work. And we got a 40-year lease on these 100 acres that are inside of the line. This was the Google Earth image before we started work there. And this is the village that's a mile and a half away, 800 families living within two miles of the Tanzania frontier. Uh, they, when we arrived there, they had three businesses, no vehicles that spent the night. They had no, they were 30 miles from the highway. They had no connection. And it took 12 hours to carry somebody to the hospital because there was no vehicles transported. So we got some Illinois farmers to come and help us. We got some grants, uh, and we started raising money. We had a, a church commit to giving us $100,000 a year for seven years, and we started this farm. Looks pretty nice, doesn't it? You can see the difference in what our place looked like with the, that around and the crops. We did fairly well. We raised, primarily we raised seed corn, uh, well, seed corn, uh, beans, uh, that we sold to the government that the government gave to, to farmers so that they have good quality seed. Um, but that was because of volunteers. People like you who had expertise that they were willing to use for a compassionate cause. And again, the community responded and Procom, while Seed was growing food, Procom was able to hold youth camps and other work with the churches around Mpanga, where the farm is located, um, to bring the message of Christ to people. And this was the village in 2015. There are now 17, at this point, I don't know what there is now, there were 17 businesses. There were seven people, businessmen in the community that now own vehicles and were able to transport people. Two buses a day came and, and went back to the highway to give them connection to public transportation. Because over the course of five years, our farm was able to put between three and $5,000 a month into salaries because of earning a small profit. None of the rest of us got any money, but we put money into there, and that's what we had started it for. And you see what happened to this community? Because they had a regular source of income. And it was because of compassionate people like you who gave expertise and money through the, fun, through the foundations that believed in our cause. Because, you see, the church that had promised us money a mega church in Arizona never gave us a dime. 
Haiti, the earthquake in Haiti happened. And it was much more interesting to be able to send groups and, and, and cost-effective to send groups to Haiti than to honor their commitment to us. So the woman that I showed you at the beginning devised the plan that has cost her dearly to make it possible for us to, make, to launch this. Now, it's about to close, but we've had a good run. Ten years of taking care and, and making life possible where other businesses were attracted and other things that, that came along, and God bless the effort. And you know something? God has taken care of the Jacksons all the way through this journey and has made it possible for a new generation. Uh, you may not recognize Nathan. He's gained a few pounds. But he was a young guy with a hat next to the drill. Uh, Nathan and Becky came from Biola University to be interns with me. She came in 2007. He came in 2008. She worked on a variety of projects, and then in 2008 and 2009, she served as my program assistant in, when I was the regional director for Food for the Hungry in the Great Lakes region. And then went on to grad school and other things, but then came back to Rwanda to work for a nonprofit. Nathan has stayed with me since 2008. During that time, uh, I've paid him three months, or th salary for three months. The rest of the time, he's been supported by family and friends and churches, or by his own wits. And today, they, they eventually got married, um, and Levi is probably about a year old by now. And they're in Rwanda. They're doing missions differently than Brenda and I did it. But they're doing it. So part of our journey is the next generation. And we're grateful that God has allowed us to be in their life as countless others have been in ours. And as you can be in the lives of other Nazarenes around the world. So church, whether you're in this room or whether you're watching, as you will either put money on the plate today or you'll put it online as your offering for this week, next week, <coughs> any undesignated funds uh, that we receive either online or in the offering plate will go to the World Evangelism Fund. To date, we've received $4,475, and we need another $12,525 to reach our goal. So we need you to pray about it. That's why I'm doing this presentation this week. You need to pray about it, and you need to see what God will lay on your heart because God has other people ready to take a journey like Brenda and I have been on. And our journey isn't finished. But other people need to get started. 
are there in danger of not being able to continue, at least not in what they think God has called them to do. And if you and I don't give, then they may not be able to fulfill their call. So pray about it, will you? God has a wonderful blessing in store for us as we journey with them. And for you and countless of other Christians who have journeyed with Brenda and I, we are eternally grateful. But remember the names of Nathan and Becky and Levi Dowling because they are missionaries without nearly the kind of support Brendan and I had because they've responded to the same call and have become infected by, at least partially, by the dream that Brendan and I had developed over the years where God calls us to preach the gospel. He calls us to be compassionate with the needs that are evident before us. And he calls us to teach and raise up leaders, both local and international, to make Matthew 28, 18 to 20 possible. Join that in prayer and in giving this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we take to heart the purpose that you have placed before each of us to go into the world and make disciples. The world starts right outside the door here. So we don't have to go far. We don't have to go to Africa, Central Africa, or anywhere else. But you have different journeys that are possible for each of us. Different dreams that are born. And we need to support each other in the dreams that you inspire. I pray that you will unleash a spirit of generosity in our midst. And may our in-house and our online offerings demonstrate our commitment to live out that generosity. We thank you that you have given us new life and new vision and invited us all on a new journey. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please stand and sing this song with us this morning. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away. 
his wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory I envision another slide to this presentation. It's another train station. Bags are stacked, but the person standing behind the dolly isn't my wife, Brenda, and our friend, Sammy. It's you. You're in the train station. Your bags are packed. In fact, this is the train station. Go from this place. Get on this train that the Lord has prepared for you and pay attention. He's taking you on another stage and a wonderful journey. He will bless you and make you a blessing to others. Watch for it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen right here, right now. You're dismissed.